50 tonight. I did remember to put the power cord on the computer tonight, so hopefully Jordan doesn't have to make a run for my office and get a power cord like he did last Sunday night. You know, machines are amazing. I was just saying to Pat here before the service, uh, she was doing some copying and something was going on. I said, you have to be smarter than the machine, you know. And uh, so it was with my computer, too. Uh, here, the, I've been having a, a little issue with it. And uh, all it was was one little box that had to be checked, you know. If you find that little box to check, that'll, that'll do away with all kinds of problems. And I had uh, finally found that, and I was so thankful to, to find that little box to check it, and, and uh, things were running much smoother then. But uh, as we come here to Genesis chapter 50, uh, tonight we want to look at this last chapter, and I believe we'll be wrapping up our study here in the book of beginnings. Over the last several months, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about Joseph and his family, this evening we're bringing our study of this great man of God to a close as well as our study of Genesis. Now, last time we talked about uh, the deathbed declarations made by Jacob concerning his sons and then we saw that his time on earth had come to an end. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 50 we have the family of Jacob preparing him for burial and the grieving time especially by Joseph. Now, of course, as a pastor, for more than 20 years, I have conducted a number of funerals and graveside services. Uh, it's interesting that some of my training for this aspect of the ministry came from two jobs that I had at the end of my college days in Emporia, Kansas. Now, first of all, I worked in a cemetery mowing the grass and preparing for graveside services that would come about once or twice a week. This uh, cemetery was uh, 150 acres. And so we would start mowing at one end on Monday and get to the other end by Saturday, and then we'd start again on Monday, and we'd keep all summer long. Of course, we had interruptions of, of funerals, and uh, there were uh, graves to, uh, to dig and to prepare and so forth. I'm thankful we didn't have to dig them by hand. We had a backhoe that did that, but there was still some handwork to be done. But that was kind of uh, uh, how he got started in this funeral business anyway. And then one day, uh, the driver of the hearse mentioned to me that his boss was looking to hire an additional person to drive, to drive a hearse. Well, uh, our city had two funeral homes, and each funeral home hired the local ambulance service to drive the hearses. You see, back in that day... They didn't have EMS back in that little town of Kansas anyway, but uh, they had an ambulance service, and we had a couple of, of uh, Cadillac hearses that could be converted into ambulances. So sometimes it was an ambulance. If it was an emergency, we'd, you know, it's not that uh, the funeral homes wanted us to drive fast or make a lot of noise uh, when we drove it as the hearse, but sometimes as we drove it as a as an ambulance, of course, there was uh, a it was necessary. Uh, it was unbelievable that I didn't couldn't imagine that here is a big 
a Cadillac hearse that had a 500 cubic inch engine in it. And uh, you think, you don't need that for a funeral procession. Uh, but, uh, well, if you're going to hurry to get to an accident on the interstate or the turnpike in Kansas, uh, you might need a little more power. But, uh, so for about a year and a half, I became an ambulance slash hearse driver. And uh, I sometimes was, uh, found it to be interesting work. Uh, I don't know which was more interesting, transporting the dead uh, or those that were mostly dead. Uh, those that still had some days to live, but they needed some medical attention. Uh, I can tell you a whole lot of stories about those days, but we won't take time to do that tonight, uh, including the story about when I backed into the state trooper and sent him to the hospital. I had to pick him up as long as, as well as the rest of the people that needed to go to the hospital. That was a terrible day. But let's not go there, okay? Let's just say I had an opportunity to witness, though, uh, being around the funeral home, I had an opportunity to witness the preparation for burial on a number of occasions. Uh, that's interesting work. I don't think I'd ever want to be a mortician, uh, but uh, that's one of the opportunities. I, I think I understood a lot more about funerals and uh, what kind of funerals uh, are good funerals and what kind are really uh, useless funerals. Uh, but because I had uh, from any, anything from Baptist to Congregational to Presbyterian to Catholic and, and so I heard everything that there was probably as a uh, hearse driver. But Joseph's life was a series of trials and tragedies. And now here we come to the end of Jacob's life. His family is preparing him for burial. And uh, of course, uh, Joseph is uh, probably the one who's, who's been given the greatest responsibility in all this. And even as his life has uh, been a road marked by valleys and mountains, perhaps this time in Joseph's life was probably the most difficult because it is difficult when we lose a loved one to death. And we have to make the arrangements uh, for the funeral and for the burial. Those are, those are difficult times to, to deal with. Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 50 and the first three verses there. It says, And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father and the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so were fulfilled the days of those which were, are embalmed, and each, the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. This was really a drawn-out process uh, in, those, in those days. Uh, but in, in Genesis chapter 50, uh, in verses 4 through 14, which I'm not going to take time to read this, this evening, but it speaks about the time after the preparation of the body. And Joseph asked Pharaoh's permission to return to Canaan to bury his father and fulfill his promise to his father. Uh, the Pharaoh consents to Joseph's request and he returns to Canaan after 39 years in Egypt. This caravan included the family of Jacob and the leaders in Egypt. Uh, this was a huge, huge company of people uh, protected by chariots and horsemen. 
Now, uh, again, as a hearse driver, I had some long funeral processions, but I've never been in such a long funeral procession as when I became a chaplain in Indiana and uh, was, uh, had the uh, privilege of going to an officer who died in the line of duty and his, his funeral procession. I mean, we went from one end of town to the other ta- end, and there were probably 400 uh, vehicles, police vehicles, all with their lights going and, and in this funeral procession. It was quite a deal. And uh, it's an amazing thing to see. But here we have a caravan that was, uh, had a huge company of people. And when they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad, uh, they stopped and they mourned for seven days. Like I said, they really drew this thing out. Afterwards, then they buried him with his family in the cave of Machpelah. And we find that here in these verses between verse 4 and verse 14. So along with this difficult time of burying his father, Joseph had many other difficult trials in his life. We've seen the difficult life that he had as a child. Uh, We've witnessed the hatred and the cruelty of his brothers. We've seen the working, uh, him working as a slave. We've seen him falsely accused and imprisoned. We've seen him abandoned and forgotten in prison. Uh, we've also seen him taken out of that prison and elevated to a position of prestige, power, and prominence in Egypt. We watched as Joseph was reunited with his brothers. We saw how God used him to bring his brothers to a place of repentance. And then we saw him reunited with his father. And we've seen the highs and we've seen the lows of Joseph's life. And through every valley and across every mountain, one truth held or one uh, uh, truth held true, that is, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And that's the title of our message tonight, taken from Genesis chapter 50. Even as Joseph ends, uh, nears the end of his life in these verses here, he continues to display a remarkable faith in his God. It's that faith and confidence that I want to examine uh, for a while here this evening. Now, as I've studied and preached this series of sermons, I think one thing has been confirmed and reaffirmed in my own heart and mind, and that is the truth that God is behind every event that occurs in our lives. I've said it, you've heard me say it before, I don't believe there are any accidents with God. Uh, For a Christian, I don't believe there's any accidents. Uh, We may think, well, that was a terrible accident that that, uh, that person was involved in. And yet, when we know that God is behind every event in our lives, we realize there are no accidents. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's only providence and the outworking of the perfect will of God. And I believe that's the clear teaching of Scripture. Notice some examples of this teaching. You look in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9, it says, There, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. 
And of course, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In Psalm 135 and verse 6, it says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did, or that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. We may look at events and we may look at occurrences in our lives and we may wonder why in the world did that happen or why, uh, uh, what made that happen. And yes, many things happen in our life and they happen by the choices that we make, but ultimately it is God who is in control and He is the one who allows these things to happen. As Joseph approaches the end of his earthly life, I want you to see some steps that Joseph took that demonstrate his absolute confidence in the providence of God. Now, we want to finish our study here of Joseph by talking about God meant it for good. Notice, first of all, he releases his past. He releases his past. In verse 15, it says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of God of thy father. And Joseph wept, when they spake unto him, and his brother also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, for I am I in the place of God. After the death of Jacob, the brothers of Joseph are worried. Uh, they remember all the terrible things that they did to Joseph years ago. They remember how they hated him. Uh, they remember how they sold him into slavery. They remember how they covered up his disappearance with a lie that he was dead. They remember these things and many other things, and they are afraid. They are sure that now that their father is dead, Joseph will seek revenge against them. So they come up with this plan. They send someone to Joseph with a message, and they want him to believe that Jacob left word for him to forgive his brothers before he died. And when Joseph hears these words, he weeps. Now, it was never in Joseph's heart to hold their past over their heads. Joseph wasn't like that. That's not his character. He had forgiven them of their transgression long ago. And Joseph nears the end of his life, he can look back with a clear conscience, and we have no record that he harmed anyone. We have no record that he holds a grudge against anyone. In fact, he reminds his brothers that he is not in the place of God. In other words, they need not fear Joseph with what they have done wrong. They will eventually face a higher court and an infallible judge, and that is a good way to die. As we pass through life, there are going to be times when we're going to be hurt. Someone's words are going to hurt us. Someone's actions are going to hurt us. It's inevitable. 
Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe to him through whom they come. We will be hurt, and sometimes we will be hurt deeply. We cannot help what others do to us, but we can help what we do with the hurt of others. You know, when the hurtful words and the harsh deeds of others break our hearts, we really only have two courses of action. We can either be angry and hold a grudge and seek revenge, or we can forgive them and leave the matter in the hands of God. Certainly there is instruction for resolving offenses when they occur in the local church. We've looked at those scriptural principles given to us in Matthew chapter 18 when we have been studying Matthew. But you also find in Luke chapter 17, it says, Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible that the offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast him into the sea, than he that should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee, against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to him and say, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing thou shalt, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, one day we're all going to be leaving this world. I wonder tonight, are you ready? to leave the world with a clean conscience. Do you have a clean conscience towards others? Or is there someone that you're holding a, a grudge against? Do you have bitterness against them? Well, here's what you need to do. If you're the offending party, you need to go to them and ask forgiveness. And until you do, your relationship will God with God will never be what it could be. We talked about bearing fruit this morning, but if there's something in your life that you have wrong with someone else, you're not in a right relationship with them, and you're not in a right relationship with God. Your life is not going to be fruitful if there's a problem between you and someone else. Now, if you're the offended party, you need to take that matter before the Lord. You need to strive to reach a place of forgiveness because you'll never be happy in the Lord. Your joy will never be full. You, you'll never be of use to Him until you've forgiven those who have wronged you. And it may be that you will have to confront that person about their sin, even as we read there in Luke chapter 17. 
You know, Joseph did not sugarcoat what his brothers had done to him. He didn't say, well, hey guys, just forget it, it's okay. You know, and that's what we have a tendency to do sometimes. Ah, forget it, no big deal. No, we need to make it right. It may be that with the help of God, we just can simply forgive them. But either way, we need to deal with the issue before it drains us of spiritual life. Joseph releases the past and was able to leave the world with a clean conscience toward others. I wonder, will we be able to do that? Secondly, he remembers God's providence. He remembers God's providence. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, But as for you, ye ought, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones, and be comforted. And he comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. Now Joseph doesn't pretend that what his brothers did was not evil. He most certainly, it most certainly was. He recognized that. He knew the intent of their heart. After all, he was there when they betrayed him. They sold him as a slave, but Joseph saw deeper than their intentions. In spite of what they were doing, God was doing something even more wonderful. Yes, they sinned against Joseph, but God even used their sin to accomplish his eternal plan. And in one verse, Joseph looks back on 30 years of trial and triumph and acknowledges God's hand was in every detail of life. Joseph knows that the hatred and the betrayal, the slavery and the imprisonment and the loneliness and the separation were all a part of a much bigger plan. God uses the valleys and he uses the victories of Joseph's life to reach his brothers, to encourage Jacob, to bring the children of Israel to Egypt, to literally save the world. Surely God did mean it for good. I think it goes without saying that God would probably not use the events of our lives to accomplish such amazing things in our own lives. It's not likely he's going to use the trials and tragedies we face to save nations and accomplish his redemptive plan. However, we can be sure of one thing. As we pass through this life, we can count on the fact that every valley, every victory is a part of his perfect plan for us, and he will use them for his good and for his glory. That's his promise. So he remembers God's providence. And first of all, he remembers that some things are evil. And understand that we're not saying what his brothers did was good. Joseph acknowledges that his brothers intended it for evil. They wanted to hurt him. They sinned and they are responsible to God for that sin. And what Joseph acknowledges is that God took their evil intentions and he uses it for good. You know, when children commit uh, terrible things, uh, when one person abuses another, when drug dealers peddle death to others, when God's standards are laughed at and ridiculed, 
Those are evil things. These people will stand before the judge of this world and have to give an account for their wickedness. God has chosen, according to his own wisdom, to allow us a measure of freedom. But you know, with freedom comes consequences. And some of those consequences are bad. But what the Bible teaches us is that in God's mercy, he uses the free acts of men, albeit evil, to accomplish his purpose. Some things are evil. Secondly, some things are painful. Certainly during the difficult times of his life, Joseph hurt. I suspect he had been, uh, many times had been discouraged. Think about being left there in that prison. Forgotten. But believing in God's providence does not mean that things are going to be easy. And they were not easy for Joseph. We have reflected on what it might have been like to be sold by your own brothers. Uh, We break out into a cold sweat if we imagine being falsely accused with some horrible crime. I think we've all kind of felt the pain or the feeling of being forgotten. Now, let me just illustrate it this way. It's not as as serious as Joseph ordeal, but I thought about this. My daughter-in-law, before she became my daughter-in-law, was living in the Minneapolis area, and one day she was pulled over by the police. She was told she was driving a stolen car. Uh, That was the grape that she was driving. A 1990-something Ford, purple, Grape. Can you imagine somebody wanting to, st- uh, to steal a grape? Well, they accused her of stealing that car, and they handcuffed her, and they put her in the back of the squad car, and then they checked out her story, and they found out that someone had switched her license plate. Now, you can imagine her relief from being wrongly accused of car theft. That's a serious thing. And then when she was visiting my son before they got married in North Carolina, she and Jake were pulled over, and this time the police told them both to get out of the car and walk backwards toward the the sound of the officer's voice, and then Jake was instructed, get down on your knees and ask her to marry you. (laughs) Of course, it was a setup this time. (laughs) She was thinking, oh no, it's happening again. actually have that on tape someplace, you know. Uh, it, it's, uh, it was an amazing way to propose, I think. Now, that's not as serious as Joseph's ordeal, but, you know, you can imagine if you were falsely accused of something, how you would feel. And Joseph might have wished his traumatic events were just mistakes or practical jokes, but they weren't. Joseph went through some painful events, Holding to the doctrine of God's providence doesn't mean that we won't feel some pain in life. Some things, even when they're necessary, are not pleasant. We may know that a certain surgical procedure is required for us. Uh, You say the word surgery, and you say, well, that'll fix what's wrong with you, right? Oh, the pain is going to come as a result of it. But it's for your good. You see, some things are painful. 
Some things were evil, some things are painful, or some things are hard to understand. God may be working, but it doesn't mean we understand what he's doing. I suspect that there were many nights when Joseph cried out, Why, Lord, why? And like Job, I imagine there were nights when Joseph asked, God, what have I done to deserve this? And even in hindsight, Joseph may not have understood some of the whys of the circumstances, and the same may be true of you tonight. You may think, well, why did a loved one die? Why do I have cancer? Why did I have to bury my child? Why did my relationship end up in such a mess? Why does everyone seem to prosper when I struggle? Why, Lord? Well, believing in God's providence doesn't mean we're going to understand everything that God is doing. It only means that we must, we must trust that God is doing something. God's definition of good is not always the same as ours. You know, we don't define good the same way that God does. To us, good is that which makes us happy, makes us satisfied, makes, uh, brings, out, uh, brings enjoyment. And we see good as the absence of pain, but you know what? God's definition is different. God defines good as that which leads us to Christ-likeness or that which brings us to trust Him more or advances His kingdom. Think about life as a baby in a mother's womb. You know, a baby is in the mother's womb and it's warm, it's comfortable, has all it needs. Uh, there's everything it needs. Provided, and life is good for the baby in the womb. And all of a sudden, some, uh, some tumultuous thing happens. Things seem to close in around it, and it's being forced against its will into a cramped space, and it's very uncomfortable, and suddenly it's being poked and grabbed and handled. Its life support is cut off, and suddenly it has to fend for itself. And the brightness, oh, those lights, turn down the lights. The noise is painful. You wonder why they cry when they're born? <laughs> it's a horrible tragedy that's taking place. But you know what? We know otherwise. The baby has just been born. What a wonderful thing. And the baby surely believed that they were better off if they'd stayed where they were. And yet they don't realize how temporary a residence that was. They don't know that if they had remained there, they would have eventually died. They don't realize what is before them. They don't know about taste and sight and touch and smell. They don't have any concept of locomotion or uh, cognitive reasoning. They don't know about faith and they don't know about love and hope and joy. And from their immediate perspective, birth is not a good thing. You know, that's the way it is often with us. We don't see where the pushing and the squeezing and the pain and the discomfort, what it's bringing to us. And often in the midst of God's providence, we feel something horrible happening. But God sees what we don't. 
Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. James 1, 3, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I think we would have to admit that we like victory more than we do the valley. We like the good days more than we like the bad days. Uh, here's a question that confronts us. Are we willing to enjoy or joyfully endure everything life throws at us knowing that God is behind it all and that He will get glory from it? Are we willing to accept His will even when it goes against our will, knowing that He will develop us through it? When we pass through the hard places of life, you know, it's easy to forget that God is in control. The next time life pulls the rug from, out, from under you, remember that God is always there to catch you. He's promised He's never going to leave us or forsake us. Remember that He invites you to come to Him for comfort and consolation. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And through prayer and supplication, God promises a peace that passeth all understanding. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Remember, no matter what it takes in life, God meant it for good. And so we find here Joseph releases his past. He remembers God's providence. And then thirdly, he rests on God's promise. Verse 22. <clears throat> and Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto a land which he sware unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. Now after a long, productive, happy life, the time came for Joseph to leave this world. And when that time came, he made the children of Israel promise to take his bones with them when they come out of Egypt. And so what Joseph is claiming is the promise of God made to his father many years before that. Now what was that promise? We find it in Genesis chapter 46, verse 2 through 4. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will be there I will there make thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will 
also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And so Joseph dies believing that God will visit his people one day and take them to a better land. And you know the same assurance for us as saints? It's just that today. Because we're looking for a visitation from the Lord. And the sad truth of our mortality sometimes bothers people. The fact is, we're all leaving this world, but death is not the end. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, and they, shall, uh, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And of course, we have an even greater promise than given to Israel. Our Lord is preparing for us a place, and one day He will return to get us. He may even come for us before we face death. But even if He doesn't, and death takes, us, uh, takes hold of us someday, rest in the promise that while this body may return to the ground, the soul goes to rest with Him. What is death? It's a door unto life. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. The word departure is a word, it's a traveler's term, it's a soldier's term, it's a farmer's term, it's a legal term. As someone has said, whether I go by the way of the clods or the clouds, I'm a winner either way. I can go to my grave with a promise like that, can't you? What a wonderful promise to know that our time, whether we are buried in this, in this world, in this life, or when we're here, when Jesus comes, we're going to be with him. So Joseph left this world clinging to the great promise of the mighty God. He left here right with God and with man. He left with full assurance that God had led him every step of the way. He left here knowing that God was not the end, but there was a better future down the road. I wonder tonight, when your time to leave comes, and it will, by the way, how will you leave? Are you right with your fellow man? Are you right with those in your family? Are you right with those in your neighborhood? Is everything like it should be between you and the rest of God's family? I wonder if there are problems. Don't you think you need to fix them? You can and you should. You have the absolute assurance tonight that God's hand has been active in every part of your life. You may say, well, wow, did I have a, quite a life that I've lived. Many things that have happened.
things I can't understand, things that, that were evil, things that were painful. And some events that we can't seem to even reconcile just yet, why not bring those areas of doubt and confusion to the Lord and let Him help you? Why not ask Him to give you peace until you reach the land where everything will make sense? I wonder tonight, can you face your own death with confidence like Joseph did? Do you have the assurance that you're saved? That you'll spend an eternity with the Lord in heaven? Can you rest in the knowledge that He is coming to get you either in the rapture or through the door of death? Again, maybe the death of a loved one is hard to deal with, but you haven't reached the place where you can see how God's hand has been in it. Maybe there's no peace in your heart about it. I trust that you'll allow Him to help you tonight. I wonder if the Lord has spoken to you on any level tonight and you perhaps need to come before Him and do what He wants you to do. And I trust you'll do that before you leave here tonight. Let's bow in prayer.